in this episode, we revisit Guatemala. It's a country who closed its borders when the pandemic was declared way back in March, but now it's open and it's ready to embrace travellers. The War Nomads podcast. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous independent traveller. Hi, it's Phil and Kim with you and Kim is still on the road. Where are you now, Kim? I'm still out back, Phil, as you saw in a recent Zoom meeting when you commented on my hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, have, I have quite wild curly hair and Phil said, obviously, no hairdressers in Burke. <laughs> <laughs> and that is where I am, Burke. It's an outback town in New South Wales here in Australia. It's on the Darling River or the Barker, as it's known by First Nations people. And it is really rich in Aboriginal culture. In fact, 21 recognised Indigenous language groups here in Burke. That's incredible, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah, yep. which says what an important place it is to, you know, because of the water, because of the river, I suppose. Everybody, a big sort of meeting point for all those groups. Absolutely. You know your history. Now, you can head to the World Nomads Facebook group to follow updates on my travels and my hairstyle. Um, I will put a, sh a link in show notes for you. But speaking of updates, Guatemala has reopened its international airport for travellers and they're really keen to revive the tourism sector. And what do we know about that? Okay. PCR tests are required except for children under 10. The test must be negative and taken no longer than 72 hours prior to your flight. Antigen tests are also permitted if PCR is not available. It's been reported if you don't have a test, you have to adhere to the 14-day quarantine or be tested in a health centre under the leadership of the Ministry of Public Health in Guatemala. Now, you would think here in Australia's outback there, there wouldn't be a lot of attention to COVID. Um, I'm just putting words into your mouth, but COVID, you know, it's a, it's a small outback town. COVID is everywhere. I went to the pharmacist yesterday and they stop you at the door and ask you to put a mask on and wash your hands before you walk in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had that experience as well. I just did a, you know, couple of weeks trip up and down the east coast of Australia within New South Wales, not allowed to cross borders. And the same thing, um, you know, in country towns, everybody's got their hand sanitizer out and asking you. Um, I, actually, one of the you may be experiencing this as well, um, although you're wild camping, aren't you? But we booked into a couple of campgrounds in our RV and you have to sign the declaration that you haven't been in a hotspot and what have you. You're not getting that because you're wild camping? Yeah, no, we, when we work, um, we actually do have to check into a park um, because we need the, the 4G coverage. Um, but yeah, wild camping, no, no questions asked, but certainly with your RV parking, yeah, you have to, to, to sign in and yeah, social distancing. Look, it happens naturally, doesn't it? Yeah, we're getting used to it, aren't we? We want it. Yeah, we are getting used to it. Now, for Guatemala, this does not apply for Australia. There is a health pass form that arrivals must fill in and we will have a link to that in show notes. Uh, national curfew is still in effect from 9pm to 4am. He's getting up at 4am. <laughs> oh. And you'll be fined if you don't adhere to social distancing rules and the use of masks in public. Otherwise, if you can fly and are healthy, you are good to go. And I can hear the plane flying over right now, Kim. <laughs> well, let's get into it then. We'll revisit some parts of our previous episode featuring Guatemala. In 2013, Shannon O'Donnell was named National Geographic's Traveller of the Year for her work in responsible tourism. She started travelling in 2008 and she's here to tell us about 
A Little Adrift, which is how we came to find her. It started in 2008. It's really hard to remember what it was like to try to find travel information on the internet. But there wasn't a lot about planning around the world trip. And so when I was a solo female, figuring out what it was going to be like to be on the road for an entire year. At the time, I thought it was going to be just a year. But there were the Brazilian information. So A Little Adrift started as this way to document what you needed to know to travel better, to travel around the world, all the information that not just a solo person would need to know. And I already had a service focus in my life. And so I had planned on volunteering and supporting community-led projects. And that led to a shift in A Little Adrift over the years. Once there was a lot of information out there on my blog and others, I started showing people how you could travel with a focus on helping, helping, like travel as a force for good. And that's what A Little Adrift is today. Well, share uh, the site, obviously, in show notes, but it has a comprehensive um, list of resources there from responsible travel to planning your travel, digital nomads and and bloggers. But we specifically, not only did we not want to spruik A Little Adrift, wanted to chat to you about (laughs) Guatemala. Yes, which is one of my favourite countries in the world. It's such a beautiful place. Why? What's so good about it? You know, it's very different than the culture that you find elsewhere. So I had travelled overland from Mexico and Belize, and Guatemala felt like a warm hug. The mind culture is right there and evident. And so for people who travel with a want to understand the culture and to understand a different culture, it's right there in your face, and it's very different than the main Hispanic culture that's sort of across the region, you really get to feel like there are opportunities to learn more and help support the Mayan communities and hike through. It's just beautiful, too. So you get to hike through the highlands, and it's an absolutely stunning country. We'll get to its beauty, but one of your blogs gets a lot of thank you, Shannon. Thank you for sharing this story. It was when you were out and one of the waiters came up and said, if you have drugs, flush in toilet now. Please do drug raid next door. <laughs> do now. <laughs> Take us through that story. Ah, oh, so that's really funny. And there is a, a drug culture in around the Lake Atitlan especially. And so this is what a lot of people know Central America for, but some backpackers go for for, you know, some fun to the lake area. And I was there sitting, there was a movie night. So I was there sitting at an English movie night at one of the coffee shops. And a couple of people stayed, but there was this massive sweep, actually. It was a drug sweep. And although they didn't find a lot of drugs because there was like this message that went through the backpacker area first, they started taking anybody who didn't have their passport on them and taking them into police custody until they could find their passport. The moment I heard that something was going around, I was like, yeah, I'm out. Why would I sit here? <laughs> like, the movie's really good now, but why would I sit here? What and was so the, I. What's the movie? I want to know what's the movie that you go to when you. <laughs> where it's enhanced by a backpacker experience. <laughs> you know, I. I don't remember. Oh, that's how the the drugs were good then. (laughs) (laughs) Shannon would never do such a thing, would you? (laughs) No, no, never. She didn't run because she had drugs on her. She had no passport. Okay, I'm with it now. Right, I got it. No passport. Because apparently you're supposed to carry your passport. This was the first time. So this was um, 2010. I had never heard before. I had already been on the road two years. I'd never heard that you're supposed to have your passport on you in a lot of foreign countries. Yep, yep, yeah. Even like France, I think, even places like that. So uh, my travel insurance safety tip of the day, <laughs> um, if you've got a, a copy of your passport, then if you get pickpocketed, mm-hmm. you don't lose your passport. But if you've got the information page from inside the passport, 
as a photocopy that usually satisfies the local police. Well, that's one of Shannon's tips just oh, to good. make sure that you, um, you know, always carry at least a photocopy yep. of, of your passport. Um, and I think in that particular blog you wrote there were around 40 backpackers that were put into jail. And one of them was my roommate. So I went home and I didn't really know what was happening, right? I just sort of, I'm not big, you know, I'm not going to take a stand. I don't know. I'm in a foreign country. I hear that something's going around. I just, I walked out the back door and I walked home and everyone who didn't basically went to Guatemala jail. My roommate was one of those. I didn't know her. She, I was at a hostel and we just had a two bedded dorm. And so in the middle of the night, maybe three, 4 AM, somebody came and knocked on my door and said like, your roommate wants you to go through. Cause I wouldn't let them in, obviously. And they said, your roommate wants you to go through her backpack. And named they named the pocket where her passport was, which sort of like gave me a hint that they were who they were. And so I went through and gave them her passport and she got out. So is that because of corruption? Was it a shakedown? Was it, you know, an unofficial fine that you had to pay to get away? Or were they genuinely um, enforcing the law? Oh, it, it, I mean, it was both. Genuinely, the backpacker, a lot of backpackers, in this town do have drugs on them. And so legitimately they're enforcing the law, but it was absolutely a shakedown where you, if you're, if you're taking backpackers who are watching a movie because they don't have their passport, I don't feel like that's, she did have to pay a fine. Once I, once that happened, I left two days later. I was like, I think I'm done with Lake Atitlan. I went north and this is in the Guatemalan highlands. And this is not a, as pretty of a town as Antigua. So I'm not selling it at this point, right? It's like, it's the beautiful highlands, but it's a really sort of, this would be terrible to say, but it is a little bit more grungy town. It's a very grittier town, but it also has a lot of integration with the indigenous communities. And it's from here that you can organize treks into the highlands. And I did some service projects. All of the language schools have a real focus on programs that support the indigenous communities with your money. Um, all of the drug culture that we just talked about, all of that is gone after at that point. And you're just in this city that's really welcoming for tourists. So if we have scared anyone off, you can actually avoid being part of that drug culture. <laughs> Absolutely. And there there are so many other areas I know we're going to talk about. I just love it. Like I'm saying, I'm fangirling all over it. Yeah, what does it most look like? It's very, very green. And because Guatemala has many volcanoes, the volcanoes are closer to Lake Atitlan and that sort of thing. But there are some peaks that you can reach around. So you're just think really, really green mountains, um, not so cold that you want to die inside. But <laughs> you can so you can go camping. You can be in these rural indigenous villages if you take a, a guide and a trek out there. But it's I find it more enjoyable. So I've done the Nepal trek and you know sat in my tiny tiny tea house wishing that I had 10 more blankets and it's not that. <laughs> now you mentioned volcanoes and in June we reported in the yep. in the podcast in our travel news that there was a, a volcano eruption that killed a lot of the of the locals but if you google Guatemala and things to do one of the top things is to actually roast a marshmallow over a volcano. Is this something that you've mm -hmm. done and would you recommend it? I have done it. So my Central America travels a lot of it. I was two years in and I and, and in hindsight, I realize a lot of it is quite risky. So one of those being roasting a marshmallow on a volcano, there is an element of risk. When we got down the side of the mountain, one of my friends who I had met on the trek, um, on this like trek up the side of the mountain, she was wearing trainers, just like regular sneakers. And I was wearing hiking boots. And so something I had not noticed is just how hot the rocks were. Like you could feel the heat. We did see some lava. It was a little bit further 
happened. Some people like we were not close enough to poke it with a stick, but we were able to grow some marshmallows in the crevices. So you knew there was a lot of heat coming up. But when she got down the side of the mountain, she only narrowly missed like massive blisters on her feet because she had all the rubber was gone. I could see her socks. She was walking down the barefoot. Ouch. Memo to self, Phil? Uh, Yeah. Ow. Don't climb a volcano no. in rubber-soled shoes. Oh, I have very thick socks on as well then. But there's a pic of the shoes, or what's left of them. <laughs> no, it's pretty amazing. It's like, that must have hurt. Yeah, with her pretty pink, hot pink socks. I reckon they would have been hot pink, yeah. red hot pink. Uh, that is in show notes. Phil, when you're planning an itinerary, what you really want to be doing is chatting to somebody who knows what they're talking about. And this is why we're catching up with Sarah from Airtrex because they plan itineraries, but they're all travellers. Am I right there, Sarah? Yeah, that's absolutely right. All of our travel planners are experts because they've actually done it. Well, what we do is we customise every trip based on what each particular person or family or couple wants to get out of their experience. Um, so we listen, we talk with people, we meet with them, they talk with one of our travel planners, they tell all about the, their, the things that they want to hit on their trip and, you know, kind of how, how they want to have their experience. Some people want to do it really bare bones. They want to um, not stay, they want to stay with the locals. They want to travel for as long as possible. So they're really working on a budget. And then you have other people who maybe have less time, maybe have some kind of uh, situation where they need to be in a place that's more comfortable. Maybe they're traveling for work. So we customize every itinerary based exactly on what you specifically want to do. One of the examples you gave to me was if you're planning a trip from the US to Peru to walk the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, which we've said in previous episodes is almost being yes. loved to death, yes. why not plan a stopover in Guatemala and hike Pacaya? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about traveling to South America, um, they think, well, I just want to get where I'm going and, and do my my trek there. Um, a couple of popular ones. Machu Picchu is popular also. Ciudad Perdida in Colombia is really popular. Yep. Um, and Colombia, I'm sorry, Guatemala is a great stopover uh, on your way down to either one of those treks. Um, because Guatemala is a country that's really great to see by land. Um, it's actually, when, when we talk about people going to that region of Central America, a lot of the time we'll tell them, don't fly into the one place you want to see, fly into one city and fly out of another. Because there's so many remote and beautiful places in Guatemala that you can't get to by air. So it's nice to say, start in south southern Mexico, travel around Chiapas, go by land through Guatemala to um, El Salvador, and then fly from there. So it's not only could you stop over in Guatemala City on your way down to Peru or Colombia, but you could get three additional countries in there. You don't have to spend a lot of money to have a fantastic experience. Well, that's exactly right. I was uh, looking at trips when we when I knew I was going to be talking with you guys. I was looking at some trips that included Guatemala. And one of the sample trips we have up on our site right now is it's seven cities in South America, including Guatemala City. So uh, Guatemala City, Colum Bogota, Colombia, Santiago, Chile, Buenos Aires and Lima. And that's starting and ending in Miami. Um, and it's between sixteen and $1,700. So you get 17, sorry, seven cities for $1,700. It's pretty affordable. But tell us about Pacaya then. So it, that it's, you know, you're comparing it to Machu Picchu. Tell me about it. 
Well, obviously they're totally different. Um, but if you're, if you have your hiking boots in your bag, right. Um, uh, Pacaya is a volcano. I think it's actually one of several active volcanoes in Guatemala. I'm not an expert on Guatemalan volcanoes. So there are a lot and there, there are, are a few. Lot and they are. keep going off. Yes. Anyway. Um, so that's one way to dust off your hiking boots. Hopefully you've broken them in before your trip down. Um, but it's, it's actually quite close to Guatemala city. I think it's one of the most visited volcanoes in Guatemala because it is, uh, easy to get to. One of the things I love about your site is it's very thoroughfill. Yes. There's five great around the world itineraries. There's how much does travelling the world really cost per day. But in the blog section, there are some really great stories, like the single mother who took her family around the world. And this one took my attention, the first air trek ever booked with Bitcoin. It, yes. how, how does that work? Well, just like buying anything else with Bitcoin, um, it's it's really funny. I, I would like to put a PSA out. If you would like to buy travel with Bitcoin, you can come and talk with us because it's actually hard. There's not a lot of companies out there that do accept Bitcoin for travel purchases. And for us, like being part of the blockchain movement was really important. We like to think about ourselves as a really modern travel agency. We like to be up on all of the different travel technology and all of the best technology available to get you to build these complicated itineraries. So when we realized, oh, there's a way that people want to pay for these trips that we're not fulfilling, we changed that right away. So we've sold a few trips with Bitcoin. Um, I think the one that you're that you're speaking of that's on our blog, you can just look. I think he had five or five to ten stops all he around did. the world. This so is Simon. it's a great way to spend that money. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for chatting to us. We'll have the Airtrex link in our show notes. And as I've kept saying, there's trip planner, there's special specials, there's planning tips, and there is that blog with all those interesting stories. So cheers for that. And thanks for choosing World Nomads to partner with. We appreciate it. Thank you. Phil, our Footprints Network has just celebrated four million or over four million dollars four million dollars in know. micro donations i know unbelievable so do you want to explain the footprints network okay uh it actually started after the 2004 asian tsunami uh and the founders of world nomad said well what can we do and yeah it's all very well and good you know donating money but what can we do in an ongoing way that's going to help community-based projects so we started this where every time when you go to uh, make a purchase of a World Nomads travel insurance policy, you can add two bucks or five bucks or ten bucks to that. And it will go, and you can go, it goes to this community based project here, this one right here that I can see the picture of on the page. Well, we, so you know where your money's going. We're actually funding 10 projects. We'll uh, include a link in our show notes, including shark and ray conservation in Belize, which is about a seven hour drive from Guatemala. Okay. So we have Dr. Rachel Graham, who is going to take us through the background and provide us an overview of the project that uh, she's part of, which is funded by Micro Donations, the Footprints Network. Hello. Hello. I, and first of all, congratulations on passing that four million goal. That's absolutely impressive. It just goes to show the power of a very, very large community globally to make things happen for good. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's quite an amazing thing. Well, yeah. it's helping you out. You are part of this uh, shark and ray conservation in Belize. Firstly, why did you choose Belize for this project? 
So, you know, I've been living in Belize for 21 years now, and uh, I've done a lot of work with sharks and rays and, and even some other large megafauna, turtles and big fin fish. All of these share very similar life histories. They're very vulnerable to overexploitation, uh, such as fishing, targeted fishing. Uh, they also inspire a lot of people. That's what people really come to scuba and snorkel with and more. And, and why I really wanted this project to be focused on Belize is we have the second largest barrier reef in the world after your own in Australia. Yep. And our reef extends throughout the Mesoamerican region of you know Mexico, Belize, Guatemala and Honduras, almost a thousand kilometers. You mentioned Honduras and in one of our earlier podcasts, we actually chatted to one of the scientists that had been part of capturing that photograph that went viral of a huge, what do you call it? What's uh, the technical name? Oh, I can't remember. That sort of massive... Uh, giant- Plastics. Yes, that's it. That's yes, the one. All that plastic. Yeah. So. So what's, what's happening there, it's really interesting because you have the large currents that's coming through from the Atlantic into the Caribbean. That's what's bringing a lot, all kinds of assets, aspects like sargassum and more. And you're seeing animals using that current as well in their migrations. But when it hits northern Honduras and that Gulf of Honduras region between Belize, Guatemala and Honduras, it creates this gyre. It's like a counter gyre. And what that does is that just... Uh, concentrates a lot of the debris that's coming out of a lot of rivers in this particular area from southern Belize, Guatemala, and northwestern Honduras. And so what that lady came across was just this confluence of both current gyre activity and a lot of debris and plastics coming out of many of those rivers. And, you know, those plastics actually have an impact on the marine wildlife that we work with, especially the sharks and rays. We have found plastics in these animals and um, we're, you know, we're concerned about that. But the biggest threats to sharks and rays in our region is actually fisheries. And that's what we're really trying to work against and mitigate the threat from by encouraging people to take part in this incredible, broad citizen science research. Yeah, explain the citizen science project. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of folks have these wonderful bird counts. Everybody goes out for the Christmas bird count, or for example, Fiji has kind of uh, laid the path with their shark count in Fiji, and everybody at a certain time of the year goes out and counts the sharks or counts the rays. And, you know, we thought here we still have considerable shark fisheries ongoing, and, and now they're including rays as well. And yet at the same time, Um, These animals are bringing in absolutely millions in tourism. In fact, we did the survey, and one of the things that we're trying to do is with this particular uh, funding from World Nomads, we're hoping that we'll we'll be able to do this large-scale, deep analysis of this incredible survey that we've done with so many visitors in Belize about their perceptions on sharks and more. And so what we're hoping to do is galvanize the tour operators, the guides, all the tourists, many of the thousands of students that we have worked with in Belize and get them out there counting the sharks in the rays and feeding in the data and getting gaining a better understanding for hot spots for these animals and really showing their interest, their care 
and ultimately their support for their survival. So you're the founder and executive director of the Mar Alliance. Can you tell us about that? Mar Alliance I created in 2014 to be a nimble um, and proactive international organization that would help to kind of define opportunities to help conserve large marine wildlife. So sharks, rays, turtles, big fin fish like groupers um, and other recreational, important recreational fish, many because they hold they have the same life histories, they're very vulnerable to uh, targeted fishing, and, and they're also very important to the tourism industry. So really, now we've grown from, from four people in 2014, we're now 18. We are based in four countries, so Belize, Honduras, Panama, and West Africa, Cape Verde. And um, it's just been, it's been an incredible ride uh, since 2014. We continue to grow. And, uh, you know, we're, we're logging quite a few successes in terms of our research, in terms of our conservation work, and more. And one of our most recent successes, actually, is, you know, discovery of a brand new shark species, the Atlantic six-gill shark. And um, this is just uh, par for the course for the work that we do in Mar Lions. Okay. A big shark, small shark? It's actually an incredibly cute little big wide-eyed, we can send you the picture, shark. Yes, please. Um, uh, yes. And, uh, and uh, you know, I really want to give a big shout-out to our technical coordinator, Ivy Bearmore, who's running our Deep Sea and Deep Shark project because she's the one who hauled it up and tagged it and, and really helped discover this animal. So is it fair to say then that our Footprints Network has been responsible for uncovering a new species of shark? Um, it oh, has long bow, long bow. <laughs> Just wanted to get a go, Kim. <laughs> I would love to be able to give you that credit, but I not yet. Um, oh, right. The world nomad shark. Yeah, the world nomad. Because if it hasn't got a name, we could have named it exactly. But the Footprints Network has been. Will you tell us how important to this particular project? So, so we're just starting out with this project with the Footprints um, and World Nomads, and we're we're absolutely excited. We have not reached our target uh, funding yet, and because we don't like to raise expectations with the communities and the people we work with, we're waiting to reach our target funding, and then we can kickstart this um, this project. And yeah. we're we're. Absolutely excited because, as I said, we are finding new species, we are discovering new behaviours and everything and I tell you, you never know what we're going to find and what we might actually be able to ascribe or credit to world nomads. If somebody's travelling through uh, the region, are they, you know, able to come and give a hand or do you need people to come, like travellers, to come and help you out in any way? Absolutely. So basically anybody who comes to Belize and is going to go and encounter uh, sharks, they can go to the Whole Chan Shark Ray Alley, they can go to Lighthouse Reef Atoll or off Gladden Spit, like any of the areas where diving and snorkeling takes place, they can help in this large effort. I really am very proud of, of being Belizean. I'm very proud of um, our country and I'm really, really excited to get everybody else excited about sharks and rays here. Beautifully said. On that note, we will share a link to Mar Alliance and also this particular project, with which has a bit of a tick-over feel of how much the project is going That's to cost right. yep. and uh, how you can help and basically how you can contribute 
contribute is a micro donation off your World Nomads insurance. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm very grateful to everybody who goes and visits the World Nomads site and chooses our project to fund. So thank you. The world is starting to engage again, Phil, but before you buy a travel insurance policy, you do need to check your government travel warnings and health advice. There may be no travel insurance cover for locations with a government travel ban or health advice against travel. Am I correct? Yeah, you are indeed. Also, don't forget to rate, share and subscribe to the World Nomads Travel Podcast from wherever you get your favourite pods. By the way, we've been added to Eavesdrop. It's a free iOS app that makes podcasts searchable by users. We'll have a link to the app in show notes and thanks for doing that, Yeah, it's all there in show notes. Next week, there has never been a better time to take advantage of working from home, on the road and remotely. I chat with Linda, the co-founder of Nomad Stays. See you then. Bye. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.